guys, welcome back to another Falcon Crest Friday on Soap Floor. I'm your host, Jet, and we are jumping right back into Tuscany Valley after I ramble on for a bit. If this is your first time joining me, thank you so very much. I'm Jet, I'm your host, and this is a safe place for all of you newbies, novices, or OGs who are curious about or a super fan of primetime soap operas from the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I am on a quest to watch the soapiest, sudsiest primetime storylines of that genre, especially the 80s and 90s, because it's been coined the golden age of television, especially for primetime, allegedly. But I think every generation has their thing. Who knows what I'll think is a golden age of time? Who knows? Who knows? I'm back. I took a week off to enjoy the fourth and all the festivities that week brings. And I really wanted to kind of sit back and really understand what I want to do with this show this is for fun. We're going to talk about a lot of things on this show, but this is for fun. I hope that when you have a long day or you have a long trip or you're cleaning your house or you're sitting in the parking lot outside of your job, (laughs) avoiding going back in, cut up, let your hair down, let loose. We're going to enjoy this. I want you to picture this. My inspiration for this whole show is the way that my great aunt, and her friends used to sit around the table where they talk to each other over the fence and they talk about probably gossiping about real people now that I think about it, but they love to talk about their stories. That's what we're doing here, y'all. We came to talk about our stories and we'll mix in some real tea from time to time. Today, we are on our way back to Tuscany Valley because it is, of course, Falcon Crush Friday. But before we do that, I have a confession to make. I am dangerously close to my 50th episode, and I have loved every second of this journey, every single minute of it. The shows are amazing. Season two seems to be the sweet spot. It's been so much better. A lot of the first seasons, especially with Dynasty, even though I really liked it, season two is bringing it. Dallas is bringing it, and Falcon Crest came to play, fully enjoying every moment of that, but I I like to do, I have a series for the summer called The Single Season Sensation. You can catch it every Tuesday where I review a a show that didn't make it. A single, it had one season and for whatever reason, it wasn't picked up again. We've all seen this. There's been shows, don't even get me started about The Outsiders that had two seasons and then it just abruptly stopped. But you know what I mean? Like there's shows out there that deserved so much more than they got and For the single season sensation, my first one ever, I'm doing the Yellow Rose, which is basically, short version is, it's the analog version of Yellowstone. Very much so. If you love Yellowstone, I highly recommend you watch Yellow Rose with the understanding that it is a little soapier than most. With that being said, y'all, I was eager. I got on the mic. I recorded the whole show, edited it put it up in record time, only to discover that I had reviewed an episode that I'd already watched. So I'll have to give you guys two episodes on Tuesday to make up for this. I was so frustrated with myself, but hey, this is part of the game. This is part of learning. I am by no means an expert at this point, but I'm not going to stop. It's so much fun. And I thank you for bearing with me, not bearing with me. I'm going to assume you're enjoying this. Why would I say bearing? Anyway, we need to get back to Tuscany Valley. This is episode 14. Let me make sure. That's another thing. If that's not right, oh well, I'll correct it eventually. This episode is called Above Suspicion. 
And I'm still watching this on Freebie TV. For those of you who want to join in, it's part of my Amazon Prime package. It's one of the free channels. You just need to scroll down a little further and you can watch this anytime you want. So the theme, in my humble opinion, of this episode is that struggle for power. It's actually the principles and the desire behind power. We've got Chase, of course, Angela and Richard as the top tier players, and then we have everyone else. So I want to talk, let's, let's, let me give you just a brief synopsis of what's going on. When last we left them, Richard now knows that he and Chase are brothers. He knows who his mother and his birth father are. Birth mother and birth father are. Angela is distraught by the news that Jacqueline, that scheming two-timing sister-in-law of hers, not only cheated on her brother, cheated with Angela's ex-husband and had that bastard Richard. Chase is still trying to clear the air because Cole is still persona non grata around town, even though he's been acquitted or he's no longer a suspect in Angelo Agretti's murder because he's left-handed, which is the best soapy explanation ever. So what we find here is Chase has this renewed sense of focus. He wants to clear his son's name by any means necessary. And in this case, that means pressing the local sheriff's department. Now, the sheriff doesn't take too kindly to this, and he confronts Chase at his office. It's a bunch of back and forth. You're not letting me do my job. That's called obstruction of justice. Chase. It's not obstruction of justice if you're not actually, I don't have anything to obstruct. You're not actually doing your job. You do it or I'll do it for you. This is your first time listening to So Poor. Please understand that I do not make up anything. I take certain scenes and I extract the essence of that scene so that we can get to the meat and bones of it. So picture, keep that in mind. Chase has already irritated this sheriff more than once. Meanwhile, Angela is sitting pretty. She's very excited that Jacqueline has been sent packing. And it probably helps that she's a little bit embarrassed. You know, she's got that. At least she was humiliated when she was sent away. Philip, the lawyer, is, you know, giving her the good news. We're closer to finding out where Emma is. Everything is on the up and up. So Angela's, you know, she's feeling pretty good about herself. Even though she's having whatever it is she's having with Philip, she does. See, this is the thing. This is a power move. Angela knows full well about everybody in her vicinity. She understands the assignment. Richard is closing in on that. He's doing his due diligence so that he can know everything about everyone in his vicinity. Chase doesn't understand that just yet. Chase being the Boy Scout, his level of power, even though he's in a position of power with the city or with the county, he can sign things and he can he can convince people. He still portrayed as this Boy Scout, but he's got this underlying vengeance that's starting to rear its head. You can see Chase doesn't understand how to reign in power just yet. He's not as streamlined as Angela, where Angela, she has do dirt dudes. She has her henchmen, Philip being one of them. She's using him for emotional support. And you know, you know what it is for when she gets a little bit lonely or what have you. And unbeknownst to him, she knows he has someone else. She's not even tripping, but he's going through all the, it's kind of fun to watch him squirm. She asks if they were going to have dinner or something. And he tells her he can't because he has to work on his boat. What that really means is he has a, a date with a blonde on his boat later on. She knows what it is. She doesn't care because he has a position to play 
And she cares more about the assignment than she does about her emotional needs. So Angela spends the majority of this episode just as a lady in waiting. She's waiting for Richard to slip up. She's waiting for Emma to be found. She's waiting for Chase to come to his senses. And she's waiting for Melissa to finally sign over her father's vineyard so she can put this whole miserable scheme behind her. Speaking of Melissa, you can't talk about Melissa without talking about Lance. Lance being the grandson who is to inherit everything. He's, we all know this at this point. He's a lot Angela, but he doesn't have that, that streamlined focus. The same thing that Chase lacks in discipline and in doing his due diligence about the characters around him. Lance understands that people have other motives and he understands that because he's associated with Angela, he's in a, he's in a position of power, but what he doesn't, he doesn't understand people yet. Angela understands how to talk to someone, how to leverage their weakness for her advantage and Lance doesn't. So Lance walked in last week with a full-on paternity test stating that baby Joseph is not his. He is not the father. Angela don't care. She's like, legally, you're the father. I don't care anything about that blood. I need you to be illegal. Basically, you are the in-between. You are the reason I'm going to get this vineyard. And if you want to inherit it when I die, you better still be that daddy when I wake up. Now, this is frustrating to Lance for a couple of reasons. Although he sees his mother, Julia, who let's, let's go ahead and bring her into the fold. He goes to talk to Julia right after this, this incident with Angela. And he tells Julia that he's not the father. And he told grandmother and grandmother doesn't care. And Julia is, she's such a downtrodden, beaten, weak woman. Yeah, she's weak. She's weak. She's a beautiful woman, but she doesn't understand her power at all. She is powerless. And her only defense is like, Hey, we'll just, just run away, run away. So she doesn't find you just like Emma did. You see what I'm saying? Lance doesn't want to run away because he doesn't want to. Okay, let me back up a little bit. So he's in the the room that Julia's always in where she's running her experiments on the wine. And he tells her, you know, he relives the whole situation with Angela. She tells him to run away. He then tells her that he's in love with Lori and that he'll never be able to fully be with her without being acquitted of this, <laughs> not a crime, but of not being the dad. Julia has nothing. Run away, run away. Now, unbeknownst to both of them, Melissa is chilling in the in the doorframe. She's just listening to the whole situation. And she confronts Lance. She says, he basically blames her for the situation in his life. She goes, dude, you're, you're sleeping with whoever you want. What situation are you really in? Literally, all you have to do is play nice so that you can get what you want. I'll get what I want. And we don't have to be anything other than that. Melissa's sitting on a little secret that we'll get to. Lance, you know, he's still bucking her like, ah, but I'm Lance. I, I, this is all going to be mine. You'll never get it. And she's like, what you fail to understand, homeboy, is that if I don't continue to play along with this, you don't get anything. And I tell you what, you're never going to run away because you want power more than you want that girl. That's what I know. And of course he scoffed, but it turns out to be true. If he really wanted to be with Lori, he could run away at any point. He's more than financially stable. He's more than connected, but he wants that power. So he sticks around. It's just like, it's like Chase. If you think about this, Chase has got half of the, half of what's rightfully his. He could have taken the whole vineyard, 
but there is something to be said about having power over someone. One of the most poignant things in this whole episode comes from from Melissa. And she says, power is having something that someone wants that you need to give them. That's true power. That's how you keep people under your sound. So it's interesting that Melissa already understands this and she's in a very unique situation. Now, granted, she's been privy to the fact that her father wanted Angela's Vineyard and vice versa for many, many years. So there is something to be said about having that information beforehand. But she finds herself in a position where her father has been murdered. He owed Buku's money in debt. She has... You know, she's she's married into this family under the guise. The original plan was that she was going to marry into the family and absorb them. But the tables have turned and she literally has no one else to, to, to talk to, to turn to. Her only ally in this situation seems to be Chase because Chase wants to find out who murdered her father and he doesn't want anything else from her. So even though finding out who murdered her dad will acquit Cole for sure, for sure. Not only in the eyes of the law, but in the, you know, in public opinion, he'll be set free. So she, she doesn't really lean on him. She plays it very cool. Not to say that you would use a child's illness as a way to skirt around the issues, but with Joseph being sick, she, she got to just not make any decisions during that time. But now that Joseph's healthy, she's back at Falcon Crest. She needs to make some decisions. Now, one of those decisions has fallen into her lap. It is Richard. Richard is either pretending to dig her or he really does. Either way, she understands that Richard has the sort of capital that she would need to start a life and to take care of Joseph. Now, I don't know how much there's never really been a full explanation from her about wanting to own everything She's mentioned it here and there, but her heart's desire just seems to be attention. Like her character is very sultry. She gives me a lot of Colleen vibes. You know, she's supposed to be young and beautiful, but they make her just, she's overtly sexual without actually being sexual. If you understand what I'm saying, 1982, overtly, overtly sexy. She's always, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot. She's got the Fallon hair bounce. She's got just kind of the long drawn out, like I'm gritting my teeth and desire sort of thing. It's, it's different. It's different. I'll just say that. You know what? Now that I think about it, it just may seem like she may appear that way because she's often opposite Lance who, God bless him. What's his name? Um, I almost said Laz Alonzo. What's his name? Lorenzo Lamas. I, I've seen him in Renegade. For whatever reason, my DVR started recording Renegade. I've watched a couple and there isn't a great deal of range with the kid. Not at least not then. I'm sure he's gotten better over time, but she may seem over the top because she's often opposite him and he's just got that permanent smirk and not much else. He's got that rich boy, 1982 karate kid villain vibe at all times. Like he totally wears, he doesn't wear polos. But if he did, he'd wear two of them and the collars would be up. You know exactly who I'm talking about. So Melissa is, she's sitting pretty. She's another lady in waiting. She is Angela Jr. They actually confront each other at one point. She understands what power is and that she has it for however long she has it. It is temporary. Eventually, she's going to have to make a decision. But she knows Angela can't kick her out if she wants her dad's vineyard. 
and Richard, basically anybody who wants that land needs to play nice. And she is starting to take advantage of that. Now, on the other hand, we got Cole. Cole is another one kind of like Julia. He obviously understands. This is an interesting thing. Like this whole episode, you get to actually see power plays and people's real motives because everyone's motive in this episode is this, it's, they present like a noble cause. Chase wants to rid his son of this bad reputation, but it also, he, in doing so, he gets to stick it to Angela a little bit more. Richard just wants to make nice with everyone and reconnect with his brother. But in actuality, he wants to buy out the whole valley and prove his, his adoptive father wrong and just kind of wreak vengeance on everyone else. Angela feels like it's her birthright to own the whole valley. And we already know she's done all the schemes. She's been putting in legwork for years. So, I mean, I I, kind of feel where she's coming from. She's been at this for 70, well, 60 years. And now these other bohos come in and they think they're going to take her property. Absolutely not. But they all put on a good front. Now, the reason I compare Julia and Cole is because of this. Where both of these people are innocent. Julia actually has way more power that she's aware of. She just doesn't use it. She could leave at any time. She's a brilliant woman. Her mother needs her more than she needs her. She could leave. There's really literally nothing holding her back. If you think about it, if she leaves, it's not like her mom's not going to give Lance the land. You know, that that's already set in stone. It has nothing to do with her, but she won't do it because she's afraid. Where Cole... Cole feels powerless because he's not believed. You know, he's he's perceived a certain way. He doesn't really talk about inheritance. I mean, it's probably pretty obvious that he would inheritance, but he doesn't have the knowledge behind it. He's angry because he knows he has power, but it's just not respected. You see what I'm saying? There's just, there's different facets of going after the thing you want when you have the ability to get it, the power that is, versus not moving on it with that same power. So Cole, Cole wants to be with Melissa and he wants to raise a baby. He's not really heavy in this episode until the end. And I'm going to leave that part out for next time, just because it's a great starting point. And I don't think you'll lose any point of the story, but understand Cole is persona non grata. He's still being, you know, not assaulted, but verbally chastised in town. Everybody thinks he killed Angela, even though the fact that he's a lefty, (laughs) set him free. Richard, speaking of Cole, you have to talk about Melissa. He's still kind of pining for Melissa. He wants to march up to Falcon Crest and be with her. But Richard has swooped in. He slid into her analog DMs and started buying her this delicious salad, you know, taking her out, treating her like she wants to be treated, which is great because even though she don't care about Lance, you still don't want to be cooped up in his house. Like that starts to weigh very thin on you. She's been there nine months, almost a year. Like who wants to be cooped up in his house with no power per se and no real respect? So Richard swoops in and, you know, they make it, they're basically together. He's wooing her. I need you. You need me. Come to San Francisco. We'll eat. Blah, 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 blah. So She is doing what she does. This girl has been around the block. So who knows? She's definitely playing him. She's playing everybody. 
And after one of their rendezvous, she had a, you know, a gut full of shrimp salad and caviar or whatever. And they were like drinking margaritas out of a watermelon. It was so random. I just don't think of that as a, a fancy way, but maybe in the eighties it was. Have you ever been to a restaurant where they like, I hate fruit drinks, if that makes sense. I don't mind like a fruit juice, but if you're going to serve a beverage, I don't want it hollowed out of a watermelon. I also don't like like when they put rice inside of pineapples and stuff. I digress. After one of their trysts, she gets home, right? Melissa comes floating into Falcon Crest after midnight. And Angela's like, I know. Oh, let me back up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Soap Lore Theater. Today's scene is between Melissa and Angie, the Battle of the Broads. So let me set the scene. Melissa comes strolling into Falcon Crest 10 minutes after midnight. She's got a gut full of champagne, margaritas out of a watermelon or something, shrimp salad that she likes. I can't help but be bubblegum, shrimp salad, shrimp gumbo. So she <laughs> she's strolling and she's filling herself just mm, 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 mm. Now, Angela is in her study. She looks at the clock and she says, I know, I know this girl ain't coming into my house after midnight. So she opens the doors to her study. Angela does. And she's wearing the grandmaest of grandma-y robes, fully up to her neck. You can tell it's made of like terry cloth, froze still tight. She's like, young lady, where have you been? Melissa. I'm just, I was out. Da-da-da-da-da. Angie. You know you can't come strolling into my house after midnight. You better tell me where you were. You were with Richard, weren't you? Now, Melissa's like, okay, now hold up. Hold up, old lady. I was where I was. I was with who I was with. And it's none of your business, Angela. Oh, it's my business, baby. When are you going to sign over those? And then she just kind of drops it. She's like, okay, well, whatever. That's that. When are you going to sign those papers over to me, Melissa? What papers? Sign them over? No, 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 no. I don't think I'll do that. Then Angie flips the script. This is again where she has streamlined the art of not only being able to read people, but to leverage their weakness for her gain. And she's like, you know, it's very unbecoming of a young lady to be out this late, especially with a person like Richard. You know what? Why don't you start acting more like a wife? And then maybe my innocent grandson, Lance, will start acting more like a husband. Now, this really gets under Melissa's skin because Lance has been coming to and fro. He's been doing anything he wants for the last forever, since the day they got married. This gets under her skin. She's like, you know, I don't want to be a good housewife. Maybe I want to do hood rat things like you. Maybe I would rather be a businesswoman than a housewife, Angie. I think I'll take a page from your book. Now, this gets Angela's out, girl, 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 little girl. Mm-mm. Let me tell you something, little girl. You could never. You could never. Basically, that's what she tells her. But Angela's thing is like, you have, I have been doing this since 1934. I know the ins and outs and the skins in this game. You are unprepared. To which Melissa quaffs, okay, I'm unprepared. Perhaps I am. But don't I have something you want? Now, all of a sudden, this property I have is quite desirable. I'm getting offers left and right. Check yourself, boo. So, yeah, it was a wonderful scene 
You know, Falcon Crest can tend to be a little bit slow, but they, like I said, for season two, they have definitely picked up the pace. This was a great scene because it was like a mirror image. You get to see that's probably Melissa is exactly like Angela was as a kid or as a younger woman. She's, you know, she's grown up in a vineyard. She understands the business. Power is, is basically being skipped over her. It's supposed to go to her son instead of her. Nobody understands Angela more than Melissa. If you think about it from that angle, nobody. She's in the exact same position, but in the same breath. Nobody understands Melissa more than Angela because she's lived through it. She's like, okay, I see the game you think you're playing. Trust me, it'll end up bad for you. Well, luckily it didn't end bad for us. This was a pretty good episode. There's a really interesting little twist at the end. Next week, I'll talk a little bit more like Vicky. Vicky finally gave up the, the perm rods and went back to her straight hair. She just, she looked at Angela and was like, look, girl, I didn't inherit my dad's natural curls. This jury curl is a lot of work. I don't know how you do it, but you know, Angela's got the coldest perm in the game. She's been there. She's, she's not new to this. She's true to this. Vicky has let go of that and fully embraced her little affair with Nick, but we'll get into that more next week. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please join me every Friday for Falcon Crest Friday, and remember to keep all of your drama on TV.